Listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Hey guys, I know, I know, we'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I wanted to be the first one to make a big exciting announcement. Tabletop and Beyond now has our first official sponsor, the Baron of Dice. I know you've seen his stuff around, as all the best players use his perfectly crafted resin dice to make those perfect rolls. These aren't your dad's cheap acrylic dice, no. These 100% customizable dice have the look and feel that will make you a rock star at the gaming table. Customization not your thing? No problem! Baron of Dice has something for every need. Wargaming, skirmish games, RPGs, etc. You can have whatever you need. So what are you waiting for? Visit www.baronofdice.com and use promo code TABLETOPANDBEYOND to get a discount on every purchase. Now back to the show. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is the Winning War Cry segment. I'm excited about this one, boys. It's the Nova Open Recap. Yep. Should be we, good times. It will be good times. We've got <laughs> Jason in the house, and we've got Dan Herrera in the house. And Dan, by the way, it was great to see you in person for the first yeah, time man. at the Nova Open. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I was so glad to finally meet you guys hand-to-hand, <laughs> yeah. shaking, having dinner, all of that stuff. It was a great time. You know, it was one of those things where it's like you we've, we've, we've become friends, obviously, over the Internet, essentially, right? Yeah, and we could have been seen you on each other this whole time. I know, right? And I've seen I've seen you on your videos. I don't know that you've seen any videos of us. I'm sure you've seen pictures and things like that, but no, because your uh-huh. Facebook picture is Chuck Norris or something. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's John Kreese from the Karate Kid. Okay, sweep the leg. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That's that's a picture of me. No, that's right. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was, but it was awesome to see you. Like we were hanging out with. Um, Justin Orton and, um, uh, you know, some of the other guys. And it's just, it was so cool to see the community come together for the Nova Open. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it was just amazing how easy so many of the people I met there were to vibe with. Yeah. You know, just to hang out with and have a good time. We've got the in-person community for Warcry. It's a great group. I'm really happy. Yeah, it was very friendly. A uh, lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. We'll 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 talk more, um, kind of about how the en- event was, and and sort of like, I think there's a lot of things working for us at the event, and uh, I want to kind of talk about that as the organizer and and how and how that worked out. But before we do that, Jason, what's on your hobby table right now? Well, you know, um, I have some games workshop stuff on my hobby table. It's not Warcry. I'm working on my. Uh, on my kill team that was one of my benchmarks was to to do nova open 
Uh, and then once I got through my Nova open, I was going to start banging out my kill team boxes that have been sitting on my shelf for a long time. So I did start doing that. I've got my, my kill team chill net. talked about the last episode. Um, got the train built, trains painted, trains ready to go. Now I'm building up the Pathfinder side of that box. Uh, I've got them all built. I'm just ready to start painting them. Nice. Um, so I'm excited to excited to get those uh, guys on the table. I've already got a uh, sister's army that from when I was pursuing that path in 40k. I recognized I actually have all of the models already built and like probably 75% painted to make a, a sister's novitiate uh kill team so that's that's rad yeah um so yeah so uh once i get this pathfinder one built up uh you know even if you don't have yours painted and ready to go we could get together and play some kill team be be some good times yeah for sure that will be that would be a lot of fun yep so that's what's on my uh table right now just trying to get those uh get those greater goods painted very good dan how about you so I just painted my first Mortex Stalker, and I'm taking a little while to kind of look at it as my, because it's my test model for a color scheme I'm thinking about for them. So I'm just kind of letting it ruminate on my painting desk. It's been a couple days since I've painted, and just trying to decide if I if I like this color scheme, if I want to try something else. Something I realized, I, I mostly like it, but something I realized uh, immediately when I was done was why did I do my test paint job on a stalker, which is like one of the biggest models, one of the ones I'd least want to have to respray and paint again, just as far as like losing detail. I should be doing these test paint jobs on uh, on the Mortec Guard. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna need to build some of them. And uh, if I don't love the current paint scheme, I'm gonna do future tests on the little guys. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so is this, uh, is this more tech guard and all the, um, uh, the OCR bone reapers, is this for Warcry or is it for like age of Sigmar? What, what's it for? It's going to be for Warcry. One of the first things I wanted to try that I still haven't really gotten to is, um, like, what would it be like to make a war band that's entirely trying to use counter? Right. So oh. I was looking at sort of what's the cheapest way to put a lot of, uh, toughness five bodies out there in the game um, yeah. just to see because if anybody can counter a lot it would be the toughness five folks right right so right. i was looking at more tech guard and they were the cheapest toughness five i could find what are so, they 80 points uh they're 55 what uh, and they're toughness they, five yeah now they're they're move three they don't really do anything for damage right like they really just exist to be toughness five and that's What's kind of win? uh 10. Um, that's still really good it's really yeah good. it's if a can it's get a, them where they're a, supposed to be if you can get them there yeah so yeah. i don't know if i'll need to do like flesh eater courts allies uh ocr has their own movement uh, ability that's not quite as good as the flesh eater courts one so maybe you don't need the allies i don't know i i don't think their leaders are very good just kind of categorically as a whole i don't think there's a single good leader in that warband um but Gosh. if you if you just get the cheapest leader i do think a lot of the heavy units that aren't leaders are really good like i think the morgast are good i think the stalkers uh-huh. are good so uh no matter what you're gonna have a pretty big kind of 
ball and chain dragging you around in your leader, but otherwise I think there's a lot of interesting options that I, I kind of want to try, and I just don't know if if an if a warband that's dedicated to countering, if that's even viable, you know, like I've never even tried anything like that. No one was at Nova with anything like that, so I just figure, right. yeah, why not? Why not give it a try? So, mm -hmm. so hear me out on this, right? Toughness five. Let's say the average attacks is like three, right? Um, out there, rolling three dice to attack. Um, you're hitting on fives and sixes if you've got strength four. So one goes through, two don't, right? Yeah. You're probably not going to kill that more tech guard with that one that goes through, and you're going to end up doing what? Average of three damage on those other two. Uh, yeah, you're going to get hit by two more often than you get hit by three but sometimes it'll be three um yeah, yeah and the the hope is even if you're doing more damage to the mortec guard than they are to you the fact that it's even a question hopefully kind of turns it into a quagmire you yeah. know the question is like what do i do in order to win like a treasure mission or something like that right I, there's there's some loopholes i gotta figure out with how i'd run it um yeah I'm not it's sure interesting. if yeah, it's I'm not sure concept. what the right balance is. Yeah, um, that'll be that'll be. I you you've intrigued me. I'm I'm thinking about like how that <laughs> would work now. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of uh, three like long-term war bands. I want to have them tested, you know, by ages from now, really, because it takes me a long time to build and paint. But mm -hmm. that, and I want to do. Um, like maybe an annihilator heavy stormcast list and then um, i'm interested in i'm interested in like monsters with nurgle there's just something about the the nurgle force spire tyrants too i think are really interesting with monsters yeah. as far as chaos yeah. goes yeah yeah well anything with a chimera all of a sudden becomes very interesting yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm interested in Gorgons, too, but this is for another day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see. My hobby table, I actually, um, other than than pulling out the core rule book for our tournament, uh, I haven't really cracked open the Heart of Gerbach, so I popped that open the other day, and I built the Rottmeyer Creed. Um, I got the Centurion Marshal the other day, so I built oh, him. Oh, nice. Yep, he's amazing model. Amazing. Is that model. the uh, Warhammer Plus model? No, that's the that's the um, centaur guy that's got the net and like the four arms. Mm. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Think like a Chaos Kragnos. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yep. There you go. Um. So he looks. He 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 is really like. And by the way, that model in terms of like how they designed him and like where he fit together and the and the like, he has no seam lines anywhere. Like the plates cover over where like the joints are of the of the sold. plastic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need oh. to hear anything else. I'm sold. Getting yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's great. And I think you had a comment because I also got a box of Chaos Legionnaires the other day. Um, and I think you had a comment on one of your videos that like these look like they're one of the craziest ones to paint. You know, there's just so much going video. on with them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I haven't put them together yet, so I can't really tell you. But I can. What, what I was going to say is that the Centurion Marshal, I don't think is that because he's bigger, and so even with all the brocade of the um, chaos like banded metal stuff that you know all chaos seems to have, 
um, even with that, like it doesn't seem like it's too much at all. So, um, but it's there's a lot of visual interesting things going on. So, that's one that I'm gonna definitely take my time in painting well, because I think that uh, that'll stand out as like a centerpiece for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and especially on a Warcry board. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I'm excited about that. But yeah, that's. I mean, I've been kind of putting it together. My goal is to try to get these warbands painted up pretty quickly. Um, Jason and I have been talking about doing some Warcry videos uh, in terms of like battle reports. And one of the things that I would love to do is run the um, kind of uh, branched campaign uh, in Rotten Ruin in the in the book that came with the core box, and just kind of cool. play that out from start to finish, you know, in some mm-hmm. different battle yep. reps. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun uh, take on what we were doing with first edition with uh, uh, the campaigns. Yep. You know, a flavor of something like that, which yeah. uh, which was always fun. Yeah, but it was fun for the person who was playing out their campaign. The other person was just playing a game. Yeah. So I think it'll be good because, like, you know, I was looking at it the other day, and it's like if this wins, then you move to this mission. If you win that way, you go to that mission, and um, it looked uh, it looks really cool. So I uh, nice. I can't wait to try it out. But i got to get these things painted up first. So. And we got to figure and out Jason, cameras and microphones point, and all that stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. To your point with that, Jason, I wonder almost you could do – you could almost do campaigns like – multiplayer style and then you'd only have to have one person who's kind of the dm you know like you could have almost 2v2 except one person is controlling two npc warbands something like that i just wonder about how to make how to make campaigns a little bit more of an engaging experience outside of uh narrative events like narrative tournaments which those are great i i had a ton of fun at both of the ones i've been to for that but um just like a campaign with buddies i think there's a lot uh, a lot still explored unexplored there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah we should think about that a little bit more how we could engage uh with that we've got yeah. uh you know several new friends that we popped out of uh nova open with that um are at least local to the northern virginia area that are said they'd be excited to kind of get together and have some more uh gameplay at uh, some of our local game stores so we'll hopefully have some opportunities to kind of explore some of those things in fact, I'm meeting Andy at Huzzah tomorrow night to give him his army. He had submitted it for you know a painting competition at Nova. I'm going to give him his army, and um, he's like, you want to get a game in? And I'm like, I would so love to, but I have a meeting that night. You know, Are you giving night, him his, you know? uh, his medal? I yeah. am, or his plaque, yep. Yeah, his plaque. Yep. Right. Nice. So. Yeah, for those nice. who don't know, yep. Andy won Best Painted in the uh, Warcry GT. Awesome guy, and... Um, yeah, just really incredible paint jobs. I was watching him and uh, kind of a, the famous professional painter Martin Orlando. I was watching the uh, narrative event on uh, Saturday, the one that I wasn't playing in, um, and those two were just talking shop about painting, and it was so far over my head. <laughs> it was really cool mm-hmm. to see. Nice. Yeah, at one point I asked him how he got his skin tone so well, and he started going through all this technical details, and and I was like, uh, okay, cool, dude. Yep, you, it looks beautiful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. But yeah, no, he's su. That was one thing. One comment he made to me was that 
he actually loves painting and the reason he loves Warcry is because he can finally put a full warband on the table that he painted. This is the problem with like uh you know the big two thousand point games is he takes so much and he puts so much investment yeah. into painting he can never get a full army painted to get on the table. But with Warcry, uh, he can you know he can he can manage you know six or seven models. You know, Darcy Bono was yeah. saying uh, she won best painted at Adepticon um, and is now a professional painter. She was saying a very similar thing that Warcry is just a lot better for um, and especially. You know, because she gets engagement through her paint Instagram, and so it's like there's only so many things you can post of the same color scheme kind of in a row. But so Warcry kind of lets her kind of go from one mm-hmm. one striking theme mm-hmm. to another striking theme kind of pretty quickly. Yep. We had her on the show at one point. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was a really good episode. Uh, that was way back though. She was that one was, of our that was, first yeah, guests over a year ago. Yeah, but uh, yep, still follow her and watch her stuff. She has a beautiful towel. Uh, She paints towel very well. She calls those the Tron towel. The Tron. Those are the black and orange ones. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then she also did the ones where like they're coming out of like their count, their uh, like cloaking Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. cool. Yeah, I initially found her because um, she was doing a Terminator version of the Necrons. So they had, like, red eyes and, like, red glowing. You know what I mean? And it oh, just yeah. looked so cool. I was like, you know, in my head it was like, dun, 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 dun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was so good. So, yeah, everybody should check her out on Instagram, Darcy Bono. She's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, that wraps up our hobby stuff. Let's get into what we all really want to talk about, which is the Nova Open. Um, I, I want to start out by talking about the event a little bit. So contrary to previous years, we were in the Renaissance Hotel, not the Hyatt Hotel. And I don't know what you guys thought about it, but I thought that the Renaissance Hotel was actually a really great place to play. I think that it was really nice that we had kind of our own dedicated room for Warcry. Yeah. Uh, that that was and it was a nice room it there was good lighting it was you know we could close the doors and it was just us in there having a war cry event that was really neat and it it also felt it felt cozier not just because we were all together with war cry but then even in the larger spaces that were more dedicated to the whole event uh it just being you know uh war cry kill team and um Age of Sigmar in one hotel, and then like 40k and Lord of the Rings banned to the other hotel. It just made a much cozier environment that I really liked. Yeah, and um, it was great when you know I first showed up and they said, "Oh, this is your room," and I was a little worried because you know it seems like Warcry is sort of the redheaded stepchild of GW games right now. Um, even though they just released like a new box and like they're going through a transformation, like it still seems like uh, when it comes to events that Warcry is kind of like, oh yeah, that game we forgot about that game. Um, so you know, I was like, I was a little concerned when I showed up, but then when they showed the rooms, I was like, oh, this is going to be perfect. And what I loved about it is it was just big enough that we were able to spread out quite a bit. And have enough space to have, you know, our books and our counters and our dice without, like, having to worry about being on top of everybody else. You know, you can put your models where they needed to be. 
and um, we ended up putting out nine tables, I think. Just uh, uh, Dan, is that right? Nine tables that we actually put terrain out of four? I think so. And then we got to kind of mix and match or jump between the tables with random table seating. I thought that was really good. Yeah, um, and that was kind of that was kind of the goal. I, I was worried that we we're gonna have a whole bunch of like late person signups. We had fifteen, and then sixteen, and then um, like two people ended up dropping, and then you know, so we ended up with um, fourteen actual participants the day of, uh, which I think worked out fine. Um, I think that was like it was a good number. I would have loved to have more. Uh, but 14 participants of people who were like totally dedicated to Warcry, uh, dedicated to Warcry, really made a good tournament. Like a really good tournament. I thought that the competition-wise was was good across the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, it went really well, just... and we had plenty of terrain, uh, such that the boards didn't feel um, uh, terrain uh, lacking. Like I think the the gen, uh, gen cons. Yeah. Tournament, the terrain was a little sparse um, on that one. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you did a really good job. And, and kudos to you. You, you know, assembled and painted all of the strains such that we had, you know, nine nine play areas with significant amount of terrain to feel like you were, you know, in a very uh, densely populated war cry environment. So well done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, it was really fun. You know, Dan came down, um, and it, after I got to the hotel there, he checked in and came down and kind of helped me finalize. And we had a really good time, Dan, like just being like, okay, let's put a tree here, and um, let's put this this building here, but let's mix that with that, you know, <laughs> fence. And, yeah. like, we were just kind of all over, like, you know, making sure that, like, yeah. things felt right, that they were balanced in each quadrant, you know, of the board. And it becomes a little sandbox, right? Like, I never yeah. have that many toys to put on my board. So <laughs> it's fun to play with. Yeah. What, I'll tell you what, though. I think, in my opinion, the Red Harvest terrain stole the show in terms of, like, what looked really great on the board. Um, those big well, platforms are amazing. Well, you put so amazing. much effort into it. I mean, that the way you painted it is just mind-boggling. You, you did such a good job on the Red Harvest stuff. Oh, thank you. I, what I loved were actually the little like um, the little shoots that I kind of made like lines across the boards. <laughs> yep. And um, those made a difference in some of the games, like because those were terrain and like some people had some mounted guys and they could not get over them, so they had to go around them and and you know it 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 um, definitely split up the boards in interesting ways. I thought so. It was really cool to see the terrain kind of being an active participant in some of these games you know yeah absolutely i mean in the finals all every fight was on the the edge of the big bobsled track because you know two move three warbands we were we were basically taking turns positioning the other person to be on the wrong side of the track uh basically with every activation it was the number one priority was control over the track um, or like control over who's on which side of the track, which I thought was made for a really compelling game. Yeah. It's a lot different than when like you just all mash your armies together in the middle and see who wins. Right. Like, uh, and 
And um, I know that uh, certain missions kind of push you to do that, and um, certain missions kind of you know push you to the edges. Uh, we had, and speaking of missions, we had um, some good ones that we used. Um, mostly, most of them came from the Warcry uh, 2.0 book, and I was going to pull some of them up. What were what was your guys' favorite mission that you played? Do you remember? Ooh, uh, I gotta think about that now. So I have completely fallen in love with ley lines. As a mission, okay. that's the first one. It's sort of an objective mission, but uh, in the first round, there's only two points up for grabs. In the second round, there's three. Uh, third round, there's four points. And then in the fifth round, there's five points up for grabs um, because all five objectives are awake. But the funny thing is, you know, I mean, high model count warbands do have a slight advantage there, but because most of the points happen later on, if you're a low model count warband, you can still try to just like cut their numbers down, you know, so that they can't just outscore you by a ton when the when the later objectives come on. And then at the beginning, there's only two objectives to fight over, so they're gonna be somewhere where you can get at them. So there's a real give and take that I find really compelling with that with that objective or with that uh, mission. Yeah, I like the uh, Hidden Vault. Um, I've played this one or a variant of it several times where it starts with three objectives that are on diagonal, kind of the diag the long diagonal of the board. And um, after yep. the first battle round, the players roll off, the winner picks one and burns an objective, right? And then on the next, at the end of the next battle round, the other player burns, chooses which one to, to burn. So at the end, there's just one one kind of left on the board. I like this one because I feel like it becomes a very tactical game versus Bloodbath. Um, it forces the two teams to kind of uh, not hunker down, but to position themselves in a way to try to capture objectives, but also be um, also be at a place where they can very quickly move off of that objective to go towards another one. Um, so I feel like whenever I played this one, I get it, it becomes very much a tactical movement-based um, game that has some fighting in it. Uh, so I really enjoyed that that mission. Yeah, I really loved the Tome of Champions twenty-one version of the of that mission. Um, mm -hmm. The new version, I think I love a little less, but I still really like it. Uh, I miss that you could score points. Basically, I, I prefer the old scoring system, but the dynamic of moving the objectives is the same as before, and it's excellent mm -hmm. then, and it's excellent now. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah and this one, it's it's not points. It's just at the end, whoever controls the last one. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, that points was, ooh, that made me sweat during the Gen Con one, right? Because I, I did talk about how, like, I went down seven points, like, in two rounds, mm -hmm. and I needed I needed four, four five rounds to win it, you know, um, in overtime. So, uh, yeah, I think Ley Lines was really interesting to watch people play because of that awakened treasure that happened, right? Because it was kind of a, added that... that little bit of not awakened treasure awakened objective um because it added that bit of uh, randomness in it that like you couldn't just plan for it to happen um i think with the hidden vault 
like knowing what the first choice is going to be really tells you what the second one's probably going to be, you know, so there's a little bit less uh, randomness in there. What did you guys think of the cursed relic, which was the treasure mission? Um, I'm curious to think, uh, hear what you guys thought about in terms of like the new treasure carrier rules. Yeah, so this is the one that Dan and I played each other on. And oh, that's un- funny. Okay. And unfortunately, both of us forgot about the movement rule. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just totally forgot about it. Like I, I picked it up and I moved my full movement, and then he picked his up and he moved his full movement. I think we both talked through it that it wouldn't really mattered in the game that we played. Yeah. Uh, it it wouldn't really mattered, but um, it's uh the D six damage. Uh, I like it. I like the concept of a cursed treasure. I think if we had employed the movement, like I said, I don't know if it would have mattered in our game, but I do like it as well. I I have one other feeling. I feel like they should also eliminate the ability to fly when you're carrying it. I think they I th- do. They yeah. do. Do they? Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't say that in uh, our battle pack so i was missing that but okay. i think you're yeah right. so that was kind of our battle pack was taken without me actually seeing the 2.0 book because i didn't have gotcha. it at the time. Yep. Yep. but it does eliminate the fly gotcha I yeah like i said i don't think it mattered in our game um but uh i think it's a really fun uh aspect because it slows it, it it slows down people who would necessarily run across the board i think that dan you had some really you had a really good um you had a really good player that got, uh, or model or unit that got it that still had a really good movement uh, that would have helped you kind of get away, anyways. But uh, yeah, I, like I it. do think, I mean, warbands with a few pretty fast people are definitely still set up really well in this treasure totally. mission. Totally. But it's not just auto win if they go first the way right. it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think you ended up going first in our game, but. If I had gone first, I would not have just automatically won by taking it with my balloon guy and then, you know, flying away to the corner of the board. Yeah, uh, I think you would have taken, taken it with damage. your Thundercat though, and that would have been a really, that would have been a really hard kill to get down. That's true. If I'd been able to kind of get into some terrain where, you know, you couldn't get your monster near me, then then maybe yeah. it would have been pretty difficult. But yeah, That's tough to game. say. Yeah. So uh, we talked about ley lines. We talked about um, the um, hidden vault and and the cursed relic. Um, how did you guys like Reaper as the third mission? Reaper is another classic. They've done a bunch of yeah. versions of it at this yeah. point in, um, or maybe not a bunch of versions, but they've alternated this and trophy kills, which is basically the exact same thing. Uh, they've alternated the two in like every release, and I think for good reason. It's it's really simple. It is pretty tactical. Um, I don't love it because it involves a ton of running away, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I just it feels counter to the whole exercise for me. Um, but but that doesn't mean it's any less sort of compelling to your brain. You know, it yeah. just. Uh, like there's a ton of strategy to it um like my uh my little old guard with swift as the wind was absolutely my mvp but he was the mvp because he would just cast swift as the wind and then all my dwarves would run away right and so um you know it depends on what kind of game you're looking for because it's all about like your big stompy pieces hunt 
their chief objective grabbers while your chief objective grabbers run away from their big stompy pieces Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of a funny funny dynamic but um yeah i mean it's good i think i think it's uh definitely compelling to any tournament organizer who's looking for a mission to put in i definitely think you should take a look at reaper even if you decide against it yeah yep one of my favorite parts about reaper is there is a um there's a tactical pool of points that your opponent has that you have to try to balance what i mean by that is you can't just go have one round where you just demolish and crush a bunch of his points because you're that's no matter how many models you kill the only thing that's worth a victory point to you is that you got more points than your Mm -hmm. opponent did so if you if you have so i like it because then you have to have this strategy of you have to knock things down to get them weak but not necessarily kill them because you want to kind of save them for easy meat in the next round to try to help you get points. Um, and so, and, and I, there's a fun push and pull there because if you, yeah. if you get them really weak, but then you don't kill them and then your opponent wins initiative next round, sometimes they just turn around and be like, you should kill me when you had the chance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They haul away. So you gotta, you know, you gotta, yeah. you don't want to do that with a model that's only got a three movement. Right. But, uh, uh, but um, I, I try. I try to play this game in a way that or this. I played this a few times, and I played it in a way where I balance my big guys versus little guys, and when am I willing to sacrifice something to consume uh, hits from him or her uh, to be able to, you know, give him a point this round, but set myself up to take the next two rounds mm-hmm. because I've weakened a lot of his army. Um, so I really like it. Um, I think it does tend towards what Dan said. There's a lot of kind of tug of war. There's running, running away, coming back, running away, but you know, it makes for a, a tactically relevant game. Yeah. I think there's a key here, right? Which is that in each round you add up the points of the, fa- uh, the points values of the enemy fighters taken down. And then you compare what that does is it balances the horde uh armies with the elite armies because you know if it were just models taken down the horde ones would be at a severe disadvantage of that oh know? sure yep and mm-hmm. so um because it's the point values that definitely helps a lot and uh you know you could swarm a big guy and take him down and all of a sudden like you're you're leading um what i liked about this game that i saw was i was just kind of going around Guys thought that they were out of this game early on because they may have lost like three or four models in the first round, but they found themselves back in it in round three because of that kind of tug of war that was happening, you mm-hmm. know. So um, it this is one this is one of those that you're like, oh, this is going to be totally unbalanced, you know, looking at the two armies, and then when you play it, you're like, that was way more balanced than I thought it was, you know. So um, I liked it. I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good mission. So. I liked it as mission three too, because uh, it was a different feel than the other mission one and mission two. Mission one was objective, mission two was objective, and then we had a breather where we were just focusing on the war on the table. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a good placement. Yep. Yeah, that was one of the goals, right? So mission one was uh, ley lines uh, that we talked about. So you had your awake- awakened objectives like that were kind of waking up across the board. 
And then mission two was a treasure one, so that objective was, in theory, moving, you know, depending on, like, who grabbed it and decided to try to run. And then number three was just straight-up kill points, basically. And then um, the fourth one, we got back to the objectives with Hidden Vault, which I, I think was a great one to end, end the day on. So, because it's a very tactical mission there. So, um, yeah, awesome. Well, we like we said before, we had 14 participants uh, in the uh, tournament that day. So we wanted to go through the lists of all of them and just kind of see who was there, what they were playing, and what we thought about what they were doing. So um, I sent the copies of the list to the guys, and we decided to put them in sort of reverse order, um, starting with the bottom player and moving all the way up to the top. So uh, if you're listening and you want to get to the top, you can fast forward. But we think you should stick around and listen to each of the lists because I think that there's some merit in all of these, right? So uh, some interesting things. So let's kick it off with our first list. Uh, this was courtesy of, uh, and I gotta, I'm pulling up the name real quick. Um, this was courtesy of Matthew Kelly. He was running an Untamed Beasts list. Now, I need to preface this a little bit. He brought an Untamed, or he was supposed to bring um, an unmade list, and apparently his dog got really excited and just shredded the package that had the models and, like, smashed the models, too. And it had his Blood Bowl army in it that he was going to be playing the next couple days. Yeah. Oh, no, that's Yeah, poor guy. Poor guy, but you know he still rallied and he pulled something together to come still be part of the tournament. So you know, kudos to him for that. Yeah, it was awesome that he brought it. Um, he went. Um, he had three losses and a draw on the day, and I will say this: that he struggled because he was using 1.0 points and rules. Like he came with the oh, the yeah. finer cards of 1.0. So they were underpowered. Yeah, they were severely underpowered. And someone's like, dude, are you using, are those the 1.0 cards or did you make 2.0s? He's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, dude, <laughs> Poor, here's, yeah. the, here's the thing. And he looked at it and he's like, these guys are way better now. <laughs> <Yeah. You know? laughs> so That's I think it was game three because that he like. Looking was, at his list, yeah, the Heart Eater, because he, he's doing it pretty similar to Out of the Box. He had a Heart yeah. Eater, a Beast Speaker, a First Fang, uh, two Planes Runners. Three prey takers actually, so not exactly out of the box. Um, I guess it looks like he dropped two planes runners for a prey. Either way, three p- yeah. prey takers and a rock tusk. And man, the prey takers and the heart eater are so much better now than they were than they were then. The rock tusk is, has taken a hit. Um, that part's certainly true, but uh, the first fang, the prey takers, and the heart eater are just a lot better now than they were then in 1.0 that's pretty funny yeah yeah Yeah. and and so i think like the third game when he was drawing he was playing from the um you know downloadable list someone at lunch basically told him like dude you need to download this list and play with these rules so um (laughs) he ended up uh he, he ended up pretty well i did feel bad for him in his third game though which was the uh no it was the second game it was a cursed treasure game um, he went up against the Sylvanith list from um, Eric Octor. Mm-hmm. And the Sylvanith guy had a um, 
spite revenant that can teleport or no is it the tree revenants the tree revenants the can tree teleport. revenants and he had yeah. two of them that could teleport yeah. all around yeah yeah can't wait so, to talk about that list but i yeah man those two lists are not playing the same game let's just no. say that no especially on the treasure mission right and so like yep. his only chance was to try to like harpoon the um the tree revenant that was like far away and like bring him back and then like try to get him again but um it was tough and he's like oh i feel like he auto won and i'm like well like you don't have a very good matchup here like that's not a you know you're gonna be struggling i feel bad for you um so yeah i think he had a better list i think he had a better plan unfortunately like that kind of um went out the door when his dog decided to eat his army and um you said that he was bringing pretty much a list right out of the box. I think that's literally kind of what happened is he's like, this is the list. I, this is the box that I, I have and I made and, and I'm bringing it just to, just to play with it, you know, so I can get some games in. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so the second list that we have um, who got in 13th place with Tori Smith and he had Skaven. Um, and it is the, it is the like total horde Skaven list here. Yep. Um, um, I think this would pretty, actually be a fun list to play. Yeah. It's, I think, it's actually got a pretty cool narrative element to it and that it's a claw exactly. leader with all yep. their clan rats and then it's a yep. bringer of the word with all their plague monks. So it's just like two clans yep. coming together and it's split right down the middle of which one. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I think it'd be really fun to play this, like, you know, on Warcry Nights. And I don't know if I'd bring it to a tournament, uh, but uh, uh, really fun in terms of thematic. And, you know, I like thematic lists. My ogre list was very thematic. Uh, even my even my um, uh, uh, Flesh Eater Quartz list, which we'll get later, uh, had some theme to it. I really love it when people do themes with their lists. It yeah. makes it fun. Absolutely. So he had, as, as we said, he had one bringer of the word. Um, four plague monks with the woe stave and fetid blade, and then he had one, two, three, four, five, six clan rats with rusty blades, and a claw leader. So, I mean, he's maxing out um, the you know the top amount of models he can bring. I, I think I think he was clearly trying to use that as board control, and um, you know just make sure that he overwhelmed. But uh, mm. unfortunately, those clan rats aren't like the heftiest. They're squishy. <laughs> They're very squishy. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember him. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. I was just gonna say I've played my share of Skaven, um, and man, they've the cheap Skaven have taken such a huge uh, nerf bat to the face in 2.0 yes. that you're just you're you're really running up that hill trying to. We can get this into a tournament, um, which is too bad. You know, just that I think this player was in such a such an uphill climb. But um, there is still a lot of cool stuff you can do with Skaven. I think the way they're set up now with their reaction, where the cheap Skaven can give free movement shenanigans to the big Skaven. I think that's kind of what you want to have at all times. You want to have one cheap guy babysitting a big guy kind of in every deployment group, and then you see how many points you've got left. Um, but it's 
it's pretty cool and Skaven Swarm used to be a thing back when Plague Monks were 70 points instead of 80 for the same profile and yeah. you could get giant rats for 35 points I uh, I definitely played some all pestilence Skaven and uh, would tear some people apart but now now it it's taken several nerfs in a row actually since uh, since those good old days yeah I mean those Plague Monks can can do some damage right like they've got a pretty good profile but you're right like even just jumping up 10 points like when you when you add it up with how many you have to bring to make them effective like that that is a pretty significant tax there um i i do like them with the claw leader there was one game that i was watching that he ended up having like the plague monks with seven attacks going out you know because like he had done like lead from lead from the back yeah. Lead from the back, and then there was uh, he did lead from the back again with the bringer of the word, <laughs> and and so it was like a double lead from the back, and he had, um, and they already had like four attacks or something like that, you know. So they were they were like up to seven attacks, and they were just taking down some big guys. But the you know the if they didn't quite kill some of those bigger guys, I think they're playing against Stormcast. Like if they didn't quite kill the Stormcast, like the Stormcast would just come back and annihilate them. So, um, it just, they were so squishy. Like he needed a rat ogre or storm fiend or something hefty in there that he could put up to the toughies that are out there, you know? Yeah. And even the missions, they've changed the missions to be harder on swarm more bands as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the only one of the missions from the pack that we didn't play is actually really good for swarm more bands, but of the four missions we played, the only one where having a swarm warband is a good idea, even a little bit, is ley lines. Yeah. Uh, the other three, it's mostly, um, it's not necessarily always a liability, but it's usually a liability. Like in uh, in Reaper, certainly it's a liability. So. Um, yeah, and he won yeah. a major victory on ley lines. You know, oh, so really? That... So he went one and three, and ley lines was the one win. Yep, exactly. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. So, yep. So, I mean, he, <laughs> he he dominated that one, right? And so um, the other ones were, especially it was like kill. <laughs> the Reaper was not, not a good match for him. <laughs> right. I don't know you how know? a list like this ever wins Reaper, but, but that's yeah. okay. I mean, you can just say, hey, I'm out here to go three and one and maybe win some prizes if, if tiebreakers work out and I'll just drop yeah. Reaper and that's fine. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. Um, so the next one that we had was uh, an interesting one. It was the Cities of Sigmar. Did, do I have that up there, guys? Um, I don't think we have that one posted. All right. Checking. I think I missed it. I Is this the one it. with the gyro no, you do. It's two down. Skip skip okay. to the next one. Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. So, yeah, this is the Tempest Eye, Cities of Sigmar. You've got a Rune Lord um, and uh, Warden King as your heroes uh, and leader. And you have a Gyro Bomber, a Gyrocopter, a Hammerer, mm-hmm. an Ironbreaker, an Iron J, uh, Drake, and a Longbeard um, there. So this is like all dwarves, and you know that that are just out there. I think thematically, like this was a fun army to watch on the on the battlefield, right? Like. You had like this these, one was really well of... painted too. This yeah, is one of exactly. I ended up voting for five of them for best painted, which I know was not the rules, but um, this is one of the five that I voted for. I it's thought, okay. I, I allowed it. I thought they did it. a really good job. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. Um, in terms of how it played though, um, I actually felt like, and and you can you can, I don't know if you guys watched this, but when I would catch a little bit, I felt like the gyro bomber and the gyrocopter were kind of liabilities at points. Um, mm-hmm. They were, you know, there were 220 and 195 uh, points, um, but they 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 could move on the board, sure, but like they just didn't project much power. Like once they got there, there wasn't a lot of oomph, you know. Agreed. Um, I agree. I, pl- I was really excited to play this one. Uh, I've oh, nev- yeah, right. I had never play played a cities list in Warcry. Um, that was kind of a a tweaked one, but the gyro bomb and the gyrocopter is really excited to see what happened there. Um, unfortunately, his gyro- we played Reaper, and his gyrocopter and bomber were both in the hammer, which comes yep. out in round two. So I knew where exactly where they were coming, so I went ahead in round one and moved folks right in so that when they came in, they would immediately be engaged and not be able to fly yeah. around and use their their Smart fine move. stuff and that really made it hard for him to come back from that because now they're just doing their melee which you know is not nothing but but they can't they you know he didn't have the freedom of movement to kind of make choices with them when they first came on the table yep. mm-hmm. but they were um they were painted so well and it was it was really it's just always fun to see a bunch of little dudes in these gyrocopters you know flying around the table I think at one point, Jason, like, like, it was kind of cinematic. You had your terror guys monster there, and we'll talk about your list in a little bit. But you had all these little dwarves just like running towards him, like ah. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, these little iron breakers and iron drakes were just running towards him with their hammers up. <laughs> <laughs> it was like uh, it was like the Hobbit, you know, with smog and the dwarves, awesome. you know. So like, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. So he um, ended up going one and three as well. Um, he lost his first one. This is uh, Tori. Uh, or no, sorry. Yeah, oh, sorry. Mm. Oops, I skipped Beast of Chaos. My bad. Um, that's why it was two down. Um, he lost his first one, won the second one. So he won the Hidden Vault, which probably meant that he – or not the hidden vault, the cursed treasure, which cursed means treasure, that he yeah. probably grabbed it with the gyrocopter and just said, "See ya," you know. Yeah. Um, and then he lost it. Uh, lost the last two, so um, he got some minor losses on some of the other ones. So like he had some pretty close games, it looks like, but not enough to get uh, not enough to get enough points. So yeah, yeah. Um, so he was number 11. That was Matt Tillman. Uh, sorry, I skipped over Andy, who uh, we talked about earlier had best painted. So he had an amazing um, looking uh, Beast of Chaos list. With a really cool uh, display board. And I yeah. have not seen a. There were two display. Yeah. Uh, three. There were three display boards that came to the tournament. Really mm-hmm. well painted. The there Sylvaneth were. one was on one. Um, uh, Peter's. Um, was on one right he had like a moon kind of palette thing and then this one was on like kind of a landscape yeah i actually think that his display board um don't get me wrong his models his models were painted really well but it's the display board that drew people into 
totally. his his army, and then they looked at the models and were like, "Oh wow, you know what I mean? These are painted really well." So, yep. um, you know, there's some people who are like, "Oh, I don't know about display boards." I think for Warcry, being able to do like a cool little display board actually really enhances your warband. Um, Dan, and it's more you... approachable than it is for AOS. Too. Yeah, totally. Totally. I... One of my takes on display boards is I was actually really encouraged walking around the AOS event that almost half of the nominees for Best Painted actually didn't have a display board, which Mm -hmm. as someone who is completely daunted by the idea of making one, just like gave me a huge sigh of relief that, you know, there were plenty of people who had just put a ton of work into their army, but not done a display board and still caught a nomination. Um, but I do think for Warcry, it's a lot less frightening to make one. So yeah. I don't know. I think I think I'll probably try to make one for Adepticon. I'm not sure. Um, really depends on what what I'm bringing, right? If I bring a monster, I'm not going to br- make a display board to go with it because right. um, that's just too big, too much work. But I mean, yeah, Darcy Bono's display board. Do you remember incredible. that from Adepticon? That's the like best she... Warcry display board I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> she literally went out and sawed a log, Jason. Because she she had like a Sylvaneth, right? And it was like her autumn She had Beasts Sylvaneth. of Chaos, but they were themed oh, autumn, to be yeah. hunting Sylvaneth. Yeah, they, she had yeah. autumnal Beasts of Chaos who were like, you know, bringing bringing autumn to the summer of sylvaneth basically and it was yeah. <laughs> it was like really well done but her yeah her yeah. board was like a raw cut slab of of log that she had cut and then like kind of built it up like it just was like wow this is incredible so mm-hmm. yeah it was amazing um but yeah so let's talk about this beast of chaos list uh he had the great brace shaman which is his hero he had dragon ogre with draconic war glaive uh blood kind with Bulgar Great Axe, a Bestigor, another Bloodkind with a Bulgor Axe and Shield, and another Bestigor. Uh, the Bloodkinds are like the leader version of the. Um, uh, what are they? They're the leader version of the. Um, of why the Bulgor. Am I forgetting this? It's uh, the of the Bulgor, I think. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, so that's why so, you're probably like Bloodkind. What is that? It's a it's a leader version of the blood uh, the of the Bulgore. So, yeah. Andy had um, actually one of those things where your final placing isn't very good despite a pretty successful day. So, like Andy won one and tied one, and then had to yeah. get paired up against me in round three. Right. Um, <laughs> and so he was actually in essentially the semifinals with a chance to win the tournament, despite eventually coming in pretty close to last place, mm-hmm. just because of the weird way that, that rounds can settle out in a in a four-round tournament. Like, I think if we'd gone two days and played eight rounds, I think he would have ended with a much better record in day two, right? Because he would yeah. have been kind of in the low. Anyway, so... Um, his list was was very cohesive, and I think it worked very well. The only thing is, those bestigors against me were just like huge liabilities. Um, and you're playing in Reaper, right, against him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, the bestigors were really a, easy to take down. Yeah, you oh, had a Stormcast on. list, right? I was playing Karadran Overlords, but everyone only okay. just remembered my Stormcast ally. Yeah. 
<laughs> but my list was technically Karadran Overlords. <laughs> that's right, right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, those best of gores are very, very uh, squishy. Um, and, you know, he had some hard hitters. The great Bray Shaman, he kept telling me over and over again, he was the real MVP. Like, people would look at the Dragon Ogre and yep. be like, oh, my gosh, I'm scared of that thing. But it's really the great Bray Shaman because he had kind of the the pull ability, right, to be able to, like, grab a, a, a unit or a model and pull it towards him um, and yep. usually pull it into combat with the Dragon Ogre. And that was kind of his combo that he was really hoping for for the tournament and so he told me if anybody got wise to that and took out his great bray shaman he was pretty much screwed and i think that that's kind of what happened in some of his uh later games that he had yeah i actually tried to kill the great bray shaman and failed and then had to run away when uh some one of the blood kinds caught up to me but mm. um yeah, it, it it mostly just went around the best of gores. He was telling me after the game that if he were to kind of move it around or move the move the models around for different points, he would actually drop the blood kind with the axe and shield. He said that the blood the blood kind with the great axe was amazing for him all day, mm. but the one with the axe and shield, uh, he said that the extra toughness from the shield didn't actually come into play for him. Um, Probably just would have bumped him up from five had... to six toughness, right? Like yeah, I think so. And so I don't think it was worth it for him, um, and he would have wanted to have a little bit more damage. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's diminishing. Like after five, it starts to become diminishing returns, right? Like right. And I think he was talking about how he could have dropped a Bestigor for a Gore, and then turned that Bloodkind into a Cockatrice, oh. um, because he was he was saying that he didn't have enough movement. Um, cause the dragon ogre is pretty fast and the blood kinds are fast too. I mean, they move five, but they don't have, you know, I mean, that's just the cockatrice is in a totally different league, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, but, uh, he, uh, like, um, overall, so that took, took into account, I think, I think this is a testament of his painting, right? So his placings in just the actual tournament, he placed 12th. And um, if you do overall, which you include the painting, he ended up getting 6th overall. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, like he, he was up much, much higher, you know, if you, if you counted in the painting scores and stuff like that. So uh, very interesting. I mean, he was definitely the best painter at the table. I'll, I'll yeah. say that. That was pretty incredible. And again, I mean, I, I know I kind of mentioned this before, but a much um, a much better player with a much better list than his placing would would indicate just because, you know, mm -hmm. his his good placings came early and then he had to play some of the top lists in the tournament and then kind mm -hmm. of fell down. So, um, yep. you know, total points is low, but I think uh, I think there's a lot to like with this list and I think he plays it pretty well. Which I want to I want to just have like a quick side note right now. The way that the tournament was scored is that you would get a major victory if you won, and more than half of your army was still intact. A minor victory, which was fifteen points, was you won, and um, less than half of your um, army was still intact. A minor loss, you would or a draw, was that you tied pretty much. 
and then a minor loss, which you got five points if you lost, but you were able to take down half or more of your enemy's army, and then a major loss was that you lost and you didn't get to take down half or more of the army. So uh, you can you can kind of deduce from some of the points that like they may have gotten like a major early on, and then they just struggled to kill you know more than half if they even if they lost or yep. um we're going to talk about Peter in a little bit he won like he won and lost and they were all super close so he wasn't getting the majors or the you know like or the minors basically so um it's kind of interesting um but before we get there let's talk about Lawrence Cutlip Masons um he was running actually the Blood Bowl tournament and stuff and uh he brought, uh, he was kind of a late addition to it, but he brought the Lumineth Realm Lord list. So, which was kind of interesting to see them out there. He had um, an Alara Stone Mage, a High Sentinel as the leaders, and then his fighter, he had one, two Sentinels, th uh, three Wardens, and two two Blade, blade Lords, and one Don Rider. Yeah, so, I played against him, and he only had one, um, one Lumineth Realm Lords model in his list. The rest was all old school high elves. It was right. super cool. <laughs> he had them on the correct bases, right? The new yep, base yep. sizes for LRL. He had everything ship shape. And the hilarious thing is they were always the High Elves that mapped directly to the Lumineth, right? So it was high, literally High Elf Blade Lords for his Blade Lords yeah. and like High Elf Spearmen for his Spearmen and High Elf Archers yeah. for his Sentinels and um, High Elf Dawn Riders for his Lumineth Dawn Riders, right? And uh, yeah, just really incredible. He clearly has been hobbying for years if not decades um despite actually being a pretty at least he seemed like a young guy maybe he's just well preserved who knows but um yeah i thought that was really cool just like incredible style points yeah for sure he ended up losing his first two rounds and then he got paired up in the third round against his best friend who is matthew kelly um, with the Untamed Beast, and they draw, and they drew, and like at the end of it, they just looked at me and they're like, "Literally, this is this was, was bound to happen. Like we always tie." <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I thought Reaper's it was an easy funny. one to tie on too, because it's yeah. really easy to tie two to two and not have enough time for another round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty funny. They're like, "Literally, this just happened. We tied." So yeah. um, we should, it was pretty funny. We should also plug that he, you know, he full time um, is a woodworker that makes um, game materials. His company, I think, is called Wood Tactics. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here staring at his card that he gave me. Uh, he had and he had Warcry t uh, tokens that he had made, wood tokens that he had made. Him and his uh, and Matthew were playing with. Yeah. Oh, he didn't even tell me that they were that he made them himself. Okay, yeah, he that's made those cool. Himself. And Matthew was using a uh, kind of a nice little portable wooden uh, uh, dice, dice tower, tower. that it, he it made for him really, as well. That he had really laser good. cut. Yeah, it was really yep. nice. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah, it was really good. Really good. Um, all right, so, Dan, you're probably best qualified to talk about this next guy, uh, J.J. Austrian. 
Oh, love JJ. <laughs> JJ is a buddy of mine from Minneapolis. Um, we played together uh, before the tournament to kind of figure out our lists. We've played a couple times this summer. We met at Adepticon um, and kind of have been friends ever since, meet up every once in a while to play. So, yeah, we had been uh, testing a few lists for him. He had tested one that was mostly Chaos Warhounds. Mm-hmm. Um to try to see if that reaction was worthwhile. And we ended up kind of going against the Warhounds because uh, at least in our testing game, I wonder it, I wonder if I steered him wrong because my list was so good at killing the Warhounds. Basically, he never got to do the reaction because I could always drop down with my Mizzen Master or my Thundercat and just kill the Warhound before it could do its little cool combo thing to keep oh, one of his leaders alive um and so i think that led us to believe that the warhounds weren't worth it uh which made him abandon them entirely when i'm realizing that against some of the lists we've seen today uh they would not have been able to pull pull his combos apart as easily yeah. um yeah. so maybe maybe the warhounds would have been more worth it but hey he went two and two so it all it all worked out i mean it was it worked totally fine. Um, the Marauders with Flail, two of... So basically, he had a Varengard with the Spear, uh, six mm-hmm. Marauders in, with Flails, two of them in each deployment group, an Exalted Champion, uh, which is like one of the Slaves to Darkness kind of beefier foot heroes, and then a Dark Oath War Queen, which is another one of the really good Slaves to Darkness foot heroes. They have a bunch of them. Um, the War Queen is statted to be more damage, less survivability, and the Exalted Champion is statted to be a little bit the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like a nice little all-around list. I think, um, I mean, I think he was he was happy with it. I mean, he's not out here to win the tournament, but if he can go 500, you know, I think he's really happy with the with the performance and. Um, yeah, he he knows his list a lot better than he lets on. He knows how to play a lot better than he lets on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because he kind of he he pretends like he doesn't know what he's doing, but you know he he knows what's up. And uh, the Varengard is solid. Um, I think yeah. personally that Varengard should cost forty more points and do forty more points worth of stuff. You know, they don't feel yeah quite as epic as they should but as as like a game piece agnostic of the lore i think it's pretty solid um i think you need if you're going to play against jj you need to be using terrain to your advantage to stop him from bullying you with the varengard um because because it it can if you if you can't use the terrain if you can't exploit the mount keyword on the varen guard uh it it absolutely is capable of kind of bullying your important pieces off of the table and um i remember it was round two the treasure mission his varen guard was trying to chase down uh justin orton's uh gorgranta and the terrain they ended up they both ended up on the one of the terrains that had the um, sluis for the for from Red Harvest, and they couldn't ma- they couldn't climb over it with their mounts because it was mm-hmm. just over an inch, 
And uh-huh. so, so they were playing like keep like keep away, almost like a duck duck goose, like running around this thing, while oh, one's funny. trying to chase the other one. <laughs> you know, so um, it's funny that you mentioned terrain because like Justin uh, won that game against JJ um, pretty handily, and the big reason was is because he was able to use the terrain to just keep that Varengard out of his face. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I thought I thought it was very interesting. Um, I, you know, I think the Varengard's, I think the Varengard's good. I think you're right. I think it needs to be, I think it actually, this is going to sound crazy. I think it needs to cost more and do more for me to like it more. Yeah. Like I was saying, it just doesn't match the lore very well, you know, for 285 points. Uh, it doesn't feel like it, you're getting that much more than you get for a doom knight, which is the chaos knight leader. Mm -hmm. Um, and you actually get less than you do for a Chaos Lord on Karkadrak, uh, though the Karkadrak is kind of overcosted. Um, yeah, it it's not quite as exciting as it should be, but it's solid, and I think this list is uh, pretty solid too. I think um, you know just having three thick fighters and then having some chaff to surround them with and then having your fighters be in each deployment group it's always going to be a recipe for like um having a reasonable time at at Warcry, right like you're never going to be totally out of it in any mission if you can put a warband together like that yeah yeah so he he won his first lost his middle two and then won the last Mm -hmm. um which is interesting because you could consider Hidden Vault sort of in the same category as Ley Lines. You know what I mean? In terms of like the fixed objectives and um, shifting, you know, shifting objectives type of thing. Um, So uh, that list obviously did better with that strategic play or maybe Justin or maybe JJ did, you know, maybe he was just better with that strategic play too. So yeah, maybe Um, interesting. All right. So number eight was our good friend, Peter, uh american american cabbage merson cabbage i always sorry peter i'm really sorry (laughs) (laughs) i actually apologized to him in person i'm like dude i I butchered your name all the time and he told it to me and i i said it right in the moment and now i'm not saying it right so um peter was our one that won the huzzah event he came in second um at uh at gen con um he was playing the same gets list this time though he um, switched it up a little bit because of the points adjustments obviously was like a big factor. So he went with a bounder boss, a squig hopper boss, which was the same from his other list. Then he had another squig hopper, a Philwater Trogeth, Bruget, and a Stabba with a barb net. Now he swapped the squig hopper, the regular squig hopper, um, before I believe that he had more Stabbas and a couple of Shootas. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, and he also added in the Fellwater Trogeth. So, uh, very interesting. Did either of you play, Peter? Not at this tournament. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, I didn't. Okay. Okay. Um, Peter had an interesting go of it. Um, and I think he was very disappointed um, in how he ended up um, because he won his first two and then he lost his last two. Um, but he only ended up with 35 total battle points, you know? So if you're thinking, like, okay, Major yeah. wins 20 and, you know, this. What we kept talking about was that his his list, aside from the Trogoth, which he really liked, he really liked the Trogoth, his list was very, very squishy. 
very squishy. Yeah, he was telling me that before the tournament. I got to talk yeah. with him, and he was telling me how it's just it's much harder to build gits without any allies now because mm -hmm. um, you just can't take the beating. And I was asking him, well, like the the reaction lets you just teleport your guys into combat. And he goes, well, yeah, but if they come into combat with you, you teleport in, and they haven't used all of their actions yet, then they just attack your leader instead of attacking your foot guy, and then your leader gets two attacks into them, but then like your leader's really low all of a sudden now, and, and now yeah. you're in trouble. So um, I thought that was really interesting and kind of prophetic, like... Before the tournament, he said he had clearly put a ton of work into figuring out how to solve, uh, you know, solve the Gitz puzzle of, you know, generally having mm -hmm. their points per, you know, their stats all went down, but their reaction is the best in the game. So it's like, how do you solve this this thing with this broken reaction, but this really weak model line. Yeah. And it was basically prophetic the way he, the way he said it of just like, man, everything's great except for your, your fighter pieces just don't always win the fight. And then he played against, um, gets with no gets. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and basically lost because, uh, gets with no gets got to use the gets reaction but didn't have to pay for the um didn't have to pay for the reaction with reduced um stats basically yeah yeah and um you know so what happened with peter as he explained it right is that he would win but it would be a minor victory every time you oh, know, so sure. he wasn't getting the 20 points, he was getting the 15 points. And when he would lose, it, it was, was a major, major, yeah. major loss. So yeah. he wasn't getting the minor loss and he wasn't getting the major victories that would bump him up points-wise that would have put him probably in the top five, to be honest with you, because he's that good of a player. Yeah. Um, but it was just the fact that he kept losing more than half of his army wouldn't get him those extra points. So he's like, i got to figure out a way to like make these guys – less squishy or maybe put more people in the army if I can, you know, so that if I do lose some that I'm still over 50%. Yeah. I think when you play a tournament where you have scoring, that's based off of, you know, half or half or more of your army, if you're going to have few models, it seems like the elite based, um, uh, lists are going to do better with that because a s small model squishy count means you're going to be struggling with that minor, minor victory major loss a lot uh just because of the collateral damage that happens in you know in four rounds on the board mm -hmm. yeah and as long as there's no more than 16 players it doesn't reduce your odds of winning the tournament outright like if you go four and oh with four minor victories you're still probably going to win the tournament i right. guess in theory someone with three majors and a minor loss could overcome you but uh they have to like you know they really have to come close or it has to all work out for them perfectly. So you're still usually going to win. Um, and it's another one kind of like with Andy, he was two and zero in the semifinals mm -hmm. with a chance to win the tournament. And so a two and two here isn't necessarily indicative of the list, not being great or him not being a great player. It's just like sometimes the closer you get to winning, the harder it is to actually sort of 
place well at the end. Like if there had been more rounds, I think he would have done better. Um, Cause I think weren't his only losses to the number one and two place players. Let's see his first loss. Hold on. His first loss was to Justin Orton who won the whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in round three. And then his second loss wasn't it was Jason? to Eric Ochter, the silver Oh, player. okay. Okay. So, so number one and number four. Yeah. So and those were his only two losses in the tournament. So you know, <laughs> a pretty good opposing win percentage, I guess. Yeah, totally. And I think I, you know, here's a little side note: when you're using Swiss pairings, right? Which is, um, you know, you randomize first round. The um, in the second round, the winners will play the winners, the losers will play the losers, right? The one and O's play one and O's, the O and ones play O and ones. Right. And then you have your next round, and that even further splits it down, right? So your two and O's will play each other, your your one and ones will play each other, and then your O and twos will play each other, and then in the fourth round that splits it down even further, right? And so um, it's totally possible, though, if you lose your first one, to have an easier path to a three and one than if you were to win your first three and then lose your last one because of the way that it places you into the different brackets. So um, I think that this is one of those that if you look at it, right, he went, he goes two and two and um, he ends up uh, number eight overall with 35 battle points. But the next guy we talk about went, um, he, he lost his first two and then won his last two ended up with five more battle points than him, you know? So he, I think he had, uh, and this is Daniel Kelly, who came in number seven. Daniel Kelly lost his first two and then won his last two. So, in theory, like that number, that third opponent that he played um, was probably near the bottom of the group anyway. You know, he's not playing some of the top table guys for that right. third win. Meanwhile, Peter's playing the guy who ended up eventually winning the whole thing, right? So yeah. that's um, that's just kind of a little interesting thing about sort of the Swiss pairings and. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a con. I, I, I don't know if it's a feature versus a bug or whatever. I think um, it's a positive the more rounds you have. Yes. But the problem is Swiss doesn't really, Swiss gives you a legit champion after the minimal amount of rounds. But yep. really, you need to get like a magic tournament has like twelve rounds, right? right. And the last undefeated player happens around round eight. Right, and so rounds nine, ten, eleven, twelve—all four of those rounds, there's no undefeated players, and mm-hmm. everyone's just jockeying for position. And that's when Swiss is really, like, the benefits of Swiss really show up, and they actually do start to sort people into the best players, right? Because uh, Peter would have, in theory, if your theory's right, Peter would have then played multiple rounds against all these two and two people, and he would have destroyed mm-hmm. them, right? And he would have, mm-hmm. um, and magic pros will talk about falling into the x2 bracket and going like six and zero in the x2 bracket because like it's just a certain type of list that can end up there sometimes and so yeah i think i think swiss is better when you have a lot of things though if we are going to move on to daniel kelly's um Mm -hmm. iron golems list i think iron golems look a lot better this edition than uh than they used to i think i don't know if you know, we're still searching for what the ideal version is. Daniel ended up 
with 970 points, so was leaving a lot on the table. Um, there's no triumphs in Warcry, so you actually get punished pretty heavily for being short on points. But um, and but yeah, if you I look think it's at it, cool. I mean, if you look at it, he had a Dominar, an Armiter, a Dromaster, two Iron Legion or three Iron Legionaries, and a uh, Signifer, um, and that's so basically the, out like of the, the box build version, out of the box. Right? And yeah. in fact, his models weren't really even painted, half of them. You know, I think what happened is he assembled them the night before because his dad's like, dude, we're going to a tournament. Let's go. Um, his dad's <laughs> Matthew Kelly, who brought the Untamed Beasts. You okay. know, and so it could have been, too, that his his dad was planning to bring the Unmade. Matthew was planning to bring Untamed Beasts. And because the dog got to it, like, he's like, oh, yeah. crap, let's play with something else, right? So yeah. um, I will say this, too. Matthew really didn't kind of know the rules in the beginning. Like, I had to help him quite a bit, like, in knowing just kind of, like, you know, how it worked. Um, he had clearly played before, but, like, didn't really have, like, a, a history of, of playing Warcry, right? Sure. Um, but he he's a sharp player, super smart, um, kind of really picked it up. And he did the same thing his dad did. After two games, he realized that there are new rules for the um, Iron Golems, and that really gave him some oomph behind his swings. Um, oh, because, like, yeah, their profiles yeah. were very different. You know? Every single Iron Golem was buffed in the new edition. Yeah. So, yeah, I bet. Man, now yeah. I wonder, if he were going to play the tournament again, I wonder what his record would be, because I think Iron Golems are kind of a hot pick now. Um, well, and and we have yeah. 970 points. Here's what he put in the um, his listing. I think it's actually less than that now because the points also went down. So I think he could have fit in another ally. I think he could have fit in, like if he dropped maybe one of the Iron Legionaries, he could have definitely fit in another leader somewhere. You know, yeah, so... or maybe yeah, maybe drop the Signifer to fit in a, and just like switch the Signifer out for a drill master. That's a pretty yeah. quick switch there and yeah, lots of lots of interesting stuff you could have done. Um and the so, Ogre yeah. Breacher is way better now than it mm -hmm. than it was mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So he had um he had that kind of epiphany of like, oh crap, I'm using the wrong rules. And also he was remembering like how to play the game. And so I think he did um, very well his last two games. But again, he also had a bit of an easier path because he dropped down into um, kind of the 0 and 2 bracket early on, you know. So right. um, very interesting to see. Very interesting to see. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So we're going to get to Casey Van Camp. Uh, Jason, this is one of our local guys who's in our um, local gaming group. And he came out to the Huzzah event with a straight, out-of-the-box Corvus Cabal army. And uh, unfortunately, that <laughs> that event for him didn't work out super well for him because he's going against some more um, tailored warbands, right? I think it was a good event for him to understand the game and you know, get experience with his list and, and learn that yeah. he couldn't take an out-of-the-box list with him and <clears throat> he looked at it and decided hey i need to have a little bit more you know i need i need to have something in this list that packs a little bit harder of a punch so there's a stronger threat i can put at the table and so he brought that uh, ogroid myrmidon which i think achieved what he wanted because i felt like he had a much better tournament this time uh and felt like he had that like he had 
<clears throat> he had options on the table when he played right. this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he ended up bringing two Shrike Talons as well, which are kind of like the big, the big baddie. And um, oh yeah, in there, you know. And so oh, he's got Shrike a very talons. elite list. You're right. That's yeah. interesting. Cool. It it is, and I think it worked out for his play style too. And uh, there's something to be said about that, right? Building a list that that um, is one that you want to play like naturally your natural instincts kind of play mm-hmm. into that yep. um, because those Shrike Talons gave him a lot of movement, a yep. ton of movement. And then he could follow it up with some, some really punchy, punchy, killy, killy power from that Ogroid Myrmidon. Um, the, one of the games that he ended up losing, it was the third, um, it was the th- against Sylvaneth game against Sylvaneth. And the only reason he won- he lost that game is because the net, the Sylvaneth um, Spite Revenant just kept chucking the net on him, on that Ogroid yep. Myrmidon, and he couldn't get to where he needed to be. And that literally that literally won um, Eric the game in case he lost it because of that. And he's like, is there anything I can do? And I'm like, just hope he doesn't roll a four. You know what I mean? <laughs> or try to get priority and activate first you know what i mean and kill that guy that's throwing you in there but um he just wasn't getting the priority that he needed to activate first and of course eric yeah. was a smart player and kind of just kept throwing that net kept throwing that net so um yeah. again, I, I, I hesitate yeah. to say stuff like the only reason it won because obviously if you know if a mechanic yeah, sure, had been sure. played differently the, yeah. the whole game would have played a little bit differently but i think that eric knew what he was doing and Eric was focusing on the right thing to counter Casey in that uh, in that Reaper matchup. Yeah. It's like saying the only reason you won is the entire reason you put your list together. Well, okay. <laughs> right. I mean, yes, actually. Thank you. I did put my list together to do the only reason that I won. <laughs> um, yeah. But this, this Corvus list fascinates me. Um, just doing Smash Corvus, essentially, with the two Shrike Talons, the Myrmidons. Myrmidons have gotten better in the new edition, too. Yep. Um, and then the Shadow Piercer, not like a one of the top leaders to write home about, but no mm-hmm. slouch either, you know? So yeah. a lot of hitting power here, which is really interesting, and I've never seen someone run Corvus this way, and it sounds like it was very effective. So that's pretty cool. Sometimes it's good to have a fresh take on the game. You know, Casey is a fairly new player, so yep. he played one tournament. He learned a lot about the weaknesses of his list, and he went and took a, a spin on it that maybe we haven't seen much before. Yep. And what I lo- what I loved about it is, you know, he ended up going um, two and two. He had a loss, win, loss, win, right? Went two and two, and... Um, what I loved about it, though, is that like he was he was so happy with his performance comparatively, oh, right? Because yeah, cool. he's like, I, I played harder lists, but I played better. And he's like, I, I knew what was going wrong like when I was losing, so it wasn't like, man, why why can't my guys just be a little bit better, right? Like he's like, oh, I was out tact like. I was outplayed tactic-wise or, like, you know, there's abilities that prevented things instead of just, like, the wholesale army just not doing well, right? That's such and a so... huge level up with any game is when yeah. you start figuring out why you're losing because you have to do that before you can start winning, right? Yeah. It's like you have to know mm-hmm. why you're yep. losing, and so that's that's cool to hear. Look, I think that this tournament showed that Casey has the potential to be a really good Warcry player. Oh, yeah. That his set, he got, you know, go, to go from... Was it zero and four, 
with a you know bespoke out of the box Warcry list to two and two uh, playing good games, man, I think it's only he's only got some positive experiences ahead of him if he sticks with it. And he ended up playing in the um, narrative play um i think the next two days maybe just the next day um but he ended up playing in the narrative play and having a total blast with it and that was just more experience for him to keep playing you know so good stuff stick with it casey yeah exactly uh all right john brown had stormcast eternals he ended up uh, I love the title of his list, by the way. It's Sweat for the Sweat Sweat for God. the Sweat God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> love that. <laughs> it's so great. So he's uh, one of those Victory Gamer guys that's in our local area that's like, dude, let's let's play, right? Um, Jason, I uh-huh. think you played this list, right? I played it the last uh, round of the tournament. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it- he had a Vindictor Prime, um, a Lord Imperitant, um, he had two Praetors and two Vindictors in there. So it was very much the Thunderstrike um, Stormcast that he was playing. And it came in right yeah. at 1,000 points. Yeah, it was. this is an extremely strong list. Um, the fact that you, know, you have the ability to react, give free actions to other elite units it's just it was so scary when i was playing the list you know it was was a very it was a very back and forth tactical game that we had where i was i was not focusing at all on damage because i didn't even want to try to you know wet noodle slap those things i just wanted to control the battlefield with the movement um and so i i think that was this your round four it was my round four yeah. yeah um you know, I I think what what really helped me win this game was tactical movement. I would I would run in, I would run in and engage his unit with a tiny little ghoul, sacrifice a ghoul so that he would have to sacrifice an action to keep him positioned away from objectives. Mm-hmm. And then when it was my turn, if I, the ghoul was still alive, I would I would disengage and move back to a position that would keep him from being able to move forward again. So I really played kind of like fence post ghouls to control him outside the objectives, but he had, he played good too. And, and it was a tight game. Like I said, I think this is a very strong elite list. And the the reason I say that is because, um, let's see, how many did he have? Let's see. One, two, three, six, four, five, six. Yeah. That that's, that's a lot. For Stormcast, it for is, storm yeah. for elite Stormcasts, that's yep. six units. That's a lot, and so it was it was very much a very strong threat list that does not. It could be very punishing for mistakes. Yeah, absolutely, and kind of interesting that this is of your wins. It was the one that you didn't just like smash them easily, and you know if he wins that game, we're talking about him as one of the highest placing lists at the tournament. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting. I think Stormcast got got so much more play in the new edition. I think before you had to really figure out interesting kind of things with them. I I do think Jason that your protectors list uh, was good and has even more play in this edition. Um, but yeah, I think Thunderstrike has a lot to like too with uh with especially the Lord Imperitant ability that kind of. Mm-hmm supercharges yeah. everyone nearby the Lord Imperitant. And I took a Vindictor Prime and six Vindictors in the narrative event. 
and it was a blast, but also they were surprisingly effective. And this is, you know, that's a list without as much play as this list, right? On purpose, of course, you know, because you don't want to bring too much of a heavy hitting list to a narrative event. But um, even then, it, it just felt sometimes... Anytime my opponent had to get through Vindictors to get somewhere, I just felt like I had already won because mm-hmm. I knew they weren't going to get through those Vindictors. Um, I, I think the strength cool. of the Vindictors really, my opinion, is the two-inch, the two-inch oh, yeah, totally. reach because yep. you can you can move, you can attack, and then on your next the next round you have the freedom to still move around without being engaged. Oh, but, so that's yeah. good too. And then what I was finding. And I think would even be more true with protectors is uh, I could position them so that my opponent couldn't attack one without the other one also being able to attack them. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so that put my opponent in really difficult positions because like there is no one-on-one fight that you can create against a bunch of vindictors. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are, those are fighters you want to be fighting one-on-one. You don't want to be fighting them two-on-one. So, yeah, yeah. interesting Yeah, stuff. they'll give you death by a thousand cuts, right? Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much everyone except for, I think, the Vindictor Prime. Well, the Vindictor Prime has it, too. Uh, everyone except for the Lord Imperitant has a two-inch reach on this yep. entire army. So, yeah. goodness gracious. Cool. You know, that's pretty amazing. So, um, love to see it. It's great. Because uh, I think, I mean, Dan, you and I had talked even on the show before about how Vindictors weren't that great in 1-0. You they know, were awful. They were okay. And yeah. they dropped in points and got one more attack. Yeah. And now they're now they're solid. It's yep, really exactly. cool. Yeah. Definitely. All right, so uh, Josh had taken fifth. He went, you know, loss, win, win, loss. Uh, obviously, the last loss was to you, Jason. Um, but now we move into the uh, top four. So this is Eric Ochter with his Sylvanus list. We've talked about him before. He had a loss and a win, win, win. His first loss was to none other than Justin Orton, the eventual winner. So he lost the first one, um, and then, again, win, win, win. Um, he again i think um had that ability in he's playing sylvaneth Um, let me go over his list real quick he had an arch revenant spite revenant um in the shield a kurnoth hunter with scythe a spite revenant tree revenant in the hammer kurnoth hunter with scythe spite revenant tree revenant so three spite revenants two tree revenants two kurnoth hunters and an arch uh, arch revenant i thought this was a very balanced list it did it did a lot of things the spites are the ones that can throw the net on you, right? Yep, and the trees can teleport. Yeah, the, it's it's very much a, a list that has the potential to control, to do yeah. a lot of control. This would be like the blue mana deck, right? <laughs> yeah, despite it being all green things that are right. still <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... So, Eric's list is actually kind of similar to Justin's in some ways, but... The thing that blows me away with this list is it, it makes me think differently about building lists in general because the number of abilities that Eric has at his fingertips with this list in any given round is insane. Um, mm. Where the Arch Revenant can give the plus one attack bubble. Yeah. He has a net in every deployment group. 
And then he has the tree revenants that can teleport. And so for any given dice roll, he just has this array of options at his fingertips that um, means that, I mean, like what you were saying, it's not just a blue control deck where you're trying to, like, you say no to everything. It's like he's creating a different answer to every problem. You know, he's, like, mm-hmm. creating some kind of toolbox going on. Um, yeah, it's it's really amazing. Um, kind of, he can switch between this blue control style and all of a sudden he's attacking you with the Kurnoth Hunters and teleporting yeah. away with the Tree Revenants at the same yeah. time. Um, maybe it's like if you ever played against fairies, when fairies were good, where they would sit back and play blue control for four turns, and then all of a sudden there'd be like a Bitter Blossom and two Scions of Una in your face beating you down faster than you thought was possible and you were like how did that switch i'm playing against an aggro deck now i i thought i was playing against a blue control deck um i i feel like this is really like the fairies of of warcry and i think it's really interesting yeah i think if i'm not mistaken justin went after that arch revenant first thing um and then focused on trying to get the the kurnoth hunters down and that was just kind of, um, and then obviously they're playing ley lines, so you know that that definitely plays in favor for those uh, tree revenants. So, um, and then of course uh, during the uh, the treasure mission, those tree revenants picked that thing up and just would just like bloop out into the corners and yep. they come and get me, and then bloop to the exact opposite corner of the board. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, I felt bad for the that? guy. It sucked, but you know that's just kind of how it is. So, um, yeah, there's just so much play to this list, and I think it's really revealing that he only lost to the tournament champion. Yeah, and he got 50 battle points. So, um, let me just let me just look really quickly. Um, so in round one, he actually didn't get any battle points. Mm -hmm. So that means in round two, he got. 15 so we got a minor victory minor victory and then um uh he ended up with a major victory so he he did very well um very well in the tournament with a list that when i first saw it i wasn't thinking that that was going to be a standout as it ended up being same i didn't think i wasn't thinking about Man, I, I've put a lot more thought into it recently, but at the time, yeah, I agree. I didn't realize how important all those abilities would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially because, I mean, you know, the, the control from the spite, that's a double. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like you've always got a double. You know and then you, you, you always do have, have to a roll. Double. Yeah, exactly. You do have to roll a four up for it to go off. You know, so you have to spend the double and then roll a four up. But it's worth it. You know what I mean? Especially if you got three of them. I mean, you could, you could use a couple of doubles if you needed to, you know? Well, and and if you really go ahead, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say, they all went up five points, but got two wounds back and two wounds. doesn't really sound like it's worth five points, but when it's eight wounds to 10 wounds, then you're kind of talking because that's oftentimes the difference between the number of attacks that kills them, you know? So, I do think it gets a lot harder. Like a lot of other netters just have more fragile profiles. And so having mm. 10, you know, 10 wounds on your netter and mm-hmm. these 
the spite revenants actually kind of do some real damage too and so if your thing is going to be well i'm going to charge his netters right away and stop him from netting me later it's like you could actually take some real damage trying to charge those yeah. netters yeah compare these netters with the gloom spike gets ones right and these are in a different category yeah so yeah definitely all right let's move to our top three which i think we know who got number three here dan why don't you go over your list with yeah this so i played a mizzen master uh thunder prime with the grand stave that's a uh evocator on dracoline Evocator Prime on Dracoline with Grandstave. Mm -hmm. uh, then an Old Guard, which is uh, Tempest Eye. Um, it's basically a Tolkien Dwarf with a hammer and a shield. And then five Arcanaut Company with Pistol. Those are dwarves that couldn't be any further from Tolkien if you tried. Uh, <laughs> and then an Arcanaut with Spear, uh, which is maybe a little halfway the in between. Pike. But yeah, this the Sky Pike. Um, mm -hmm. And I set it up so that the Thunder Prime was in my dagger with a couple of the Arcos. The Old Guard was in my hammer with the spear and one of the pistols. And then the Mizzen Master was in my uh, shield. Um, really liked how the list turned out. So I went for this idea that my, I wanted my hammers to be really fast because my cheap guys were all really slow <laughs> um <laughs> and so i felt like that balance worked out i felt like uh there were a couple missions where i was sweating because my hammers once they were in fights with opposing hammers uh point for point they weren't as good at fighting right but um they gave me so much utility that i was generally able to uh, overcome that and mm -hmm. you know basically I made one misplay with my Mizzen Master the whole tournament where I overcommitted it and uh, realized later that I could have just actually flown it to terrain and used the shooting attack I had basically dismissed the shooting attack out of hand because it's like the the regular smacking attack is so good um, but in that situation I really didn't have to put him in danger and I did and then he died and that was why I lost that game. Um, and Because I couldn't pop fight for profit on later rounds to burn off his goblins off the final objective. So, yeah, really interesting stuff where, um, you know, I basically I played a, a wall of dwarven meat plus uh, a glass cannon and then one giant terrifying lion that runs around the board. And uh, just, you know, probably was one misplay with my glass cannon away from winning the tournament. So I felt really good. Yeah, I thought it was a great list. Uh, you had a good balance of of fast movement and slow movement to with a good uh, model count. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, – this was a solid list, man. Um, you know, I looked at it and I was like, okay, I see – I see what he's going for. I'm curious to see how it will do on the table. And it, you know, it did better than I thought it than I thought it would have, you know? Um I I assume that you were coming with a you know, a nice list that that, that would do well. Um but um yeah, so I'm curious. I, I what really were well. you skeptical about? Um it it was all the dwarves in the shooting, to be honest with you. 
Sure. You know, um, and I'm just because like they they're really slow on foot, you know, and mm-hmm. in some of those they can be a liability. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, especially yep. like a Reaper mission, like they could totally be a liability. Um, but if you've got things running around, they can actually be an asset because then they can they can shoot. They can, they've got some range. They you know they they do have you know melee attacks and stuff like that. So they're not for nothing. But that's, I was mostly that's worried the about the beauty of the old guard um, because swift as the wind is just so good, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's it's definitely a shortcut people can take to really strong lists in general this season is having uh, move three. Co- like combo with a ally that gives you know plus a bunch of movement so like soul blight grave lords with a flesh eater quartz ally something like that yeah, um, yeah yeah i found my old guard was really really helpful at sort of getting the the arcanaut company around and then the key with the shooting i thought was only shoot if you have to always be yeah. moving with them because really Mm -hmm. their role is to be weirdly hard to kill for their points they're 50 points each and they've got 12 wounds right um that's just like it's just a slog for your opponent and so um and there's really not a lot of things that can kill them in one hit um because even though they're toughness three 12 is just a lot of it's a lot of dice pips you know, there's yeah. there's fighters out there that even if they roll all hits, you know, they have to have at least two crits in there or else they're just not mm-hmm. going to be able to yeah. count that high. Um, and so I think that was really that was what was good about them. Um, they weren't they weren't flawless. You know, I mean, um, in my final match against Justin, he positioned a netter to be in the way so that they wouldn't be able to get to the final objective. Like two of them just had no chance. They couldn't cross the board in time. So that was a pretty big, you know, disaster where if those two had had movement four, they might've been able to get to the objective in time because they would have been running for so many more rounds. So there are flaws to the dwarves, um, certainly, but you know, they're pound for pound. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're pound for pound surviving power is just really strong and so if they can survive while you run around with your two big scary things then that's really solid yeah so just your your little tournament recap you had a major victory your first round uh you had a minor victory against jason we'll talk about your guys's matchup after we talk about jason's list because i think we need a little bit of more context there minor victory over uh against jason and um, then you had another major victory in the third round against Andy and his um, his uh, Beast of Chaos. And then you had, unfortunately, a major loss against Justin. But, man, that game was so close, so close um, there at the end. And um, so you did uh, – you had, you had some very solid wins in there, um, which is, I think – the the difference you you had you ended up with fifty five battle points. Jason ended up with sixty five, um, at number two. And I I think it's just that the way that that last game went. You know what I mean? Um, Jason had a very strong game, and then you had a very well, tough game. So we'll have we'll have plenty to talk about when we get to Justin's list. But um, I think his list is very well set up to fight. Um, you know, lists like mine where 
basically he's well let's not spoil it we'll wait till we get to justin let's talk about jason's yeah. list yeah all right so jason you took number two in the tournament you um your only loss that you had was um against dan actually yep. so why don't you walk us through your list yeah, uh, so my list was called Out for a Stroll with the Pet Geist. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, Flesh Eater Quartz. I had the, uh, it was themed. I had the uh, Abhorrent Ghoul King who was out walking his Terror Geist. And he had his, uh, he had his bodyguard there with the Crypt Horror and his, uh, his entourage with all, of, with five Crypt Ghouls that, uh, that were there with him. Um, I actually changed my list right at the last minute before uh, coming to the tournament. I did have an Horton Ghoul King, a Terrorgeist, a Crypt Flayer, and I dropped a Ghoul so that I could fit the points in. Um, but at the last minute, I decided I wanted to play a little differently, so I, I dropped the Flayer for a Horror and added an additional Ghoul to have additional bodies uh, in there to see how that would play. My goal coming to this tournament was to learn how monsters work in 2.0. Um, and it worked pretty well. Uh, for me, the the Terrorgeist was absolutely the star of the show for um, for all of my uh, all of my matches that I won. Um, the Cool King and the Cryptor did exactly what I thought they would do. Um, the the Cryptor or the the Cryptor stayed very close to the Ghoul King, and I used um, I used the double once again doubles. Right, they're so easy to come by. Chosen of the King to give him two additional attacks. Um, until the end of its activation. So he was swinging with uh, six swings at times, and actually one time I got off the quad, Stir of Black Hunger, from the Ghoul King and Chosen of the King from the Crypt Horror, so he was swinging with uh, just a ton. He was swinging with seven uh, swings on uh, twice on an activation, which was just... That's just brutal to hit with when you're sing swinging with seven and you're doing yeah. a, a, you know strength four and you're doing twos and fours um, against something. So the Cryptor did yeah. come in and pack a punch at times, and, and that helped. But really it was focused on the doubles and the triples because the double for the Chosen the King, mm -hmm. uh, typical doubles you would think of that could let things kind of move around a little bit more. And then the, the thing I used the most the entire tournament, except except in Dan's match, was the uh, mo the generic monster triple, the Dragon Maw, that lets mm -hmm, the Terrorgeist yep. grab any enemy model within six inches, pick them up, put them anywhere else on the model within one inch, and then roll a dice, and for every four plus, you're doing three damage to it. Mm -hmm. It's something. so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. <laughs> and uh, the reason it's so good is you can yank people off of objectives and place them all the way on the other side of the five and a half inch base of the terrorgeist so you yeah. i can take i could grab somebody who's six inches away on one side move them six inches move them another five and a half inches and another inch i mean just throwing them completely on the other side of uh of an engagement that's going on and the way the rules are written right now you can yank them out of engagements as well yeah. So it's. I think that it's. Get, my opinion. I think it's going to get nerfed. I think they're going to do some tweaking, like, you know, if they're not engaged or something like that, because it it felt overly powerful uh, when I was playing it this tournament. I but, agree. Um, I think grabbing ball is a big part of. Yeah. Why people are up in arms about monsters in general it's, around it's the Warcraft community? Mm -hmm. 
and from someone who played it at the tournament, it's just, I mean, that's how I won the Stormcast, right? He would, I, we burned it to the last objective. I've moved to my Terrorgeist once to the center of the, of the map. And then I just kept, I just kept spinning my wild dice to get a triple. And it is not hard to get a triple. No. Right? Yeah. I kept spinning wild dice for a triple. And then it was my turn. He would just yank one of his uh, vind- vindic- uh, vindicators. Vindictors. Yeah, he would just yank one and throw him on the complete other side of the base so that he would be out of the buff of the leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, was, it was just the whole whole time. I just played it that way. But the ghouls were really useful. Um, I did not use them to attack. I used them just to be fence posts in all of the matches I played. Yeah, yep. so and that sounds like the Arcanaut kind of similar thing, right? Yeah, well, I mean, they have... They have a movement of five, which is a good movement. Wow, that is a very good movement. It is a good movement in this game. So you can do a lot if you're not if you don't look at them as as a you know actual attack and use them as board control. Five movement is very good. Hey, I'll have you know during one round my dwarves had a movement of nine. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, movement support. Do you think the dragon and maul ability, if it were a quad, that would make it better? You mean more or, balanced? Yeah. I think so. Or does um, it need to like actually like you can't do it with her engaged or Well, so here's the thing, of... right? The fact that it moves you Yeah. is like the number one thing. But then yeah. don't forget, it does three damage for every roll. Yeah. On top right. of that. Right. So it is right. just it is it is overly powerful for a and, triple, and it might opinion. be There's a little bit too better. Many sides where you... of fries. What's that? What'd you like say? You get the you get the sandwich, and you get a side of fries, exactly. and you get the condiments <laughs> where you can pull it out of combat. You know, yeah, it's so... just like there's too many pieces to this value meal. It, it is, and, and the thing about monsters, right, is they get three activations, but you can only do one thing per activation, but you can also do an ability. So. I would move and then use my triple to then move you and still do damage. And now you're right next to me, so that on my next activation, I'm hitting you full power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's too powerful for a triple. I my wonder opinion if it, should be it would also be better that instead of setting them up anywhere an inch away, which is like, if you're pulling them off an objective, you're going to be putting them literally on the other side of your dinner plate base that you have. Yeah. You know, um, I wonder if it'd be better if it's like, okay, you can move them up to six inches, right? So choose choose a unit that's within six inches. You can move them up to six inches. So yeah, that, I like you that. Know, that's, that's so not you're a bad still at least too. on the same side of the monster. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Instead of being like all the way on the other side. So it's interesting that, you know, there, it's not the only ability in the game that where you can remove your thing from the battlefield and set them up within one. I think the night haunt yeah. have an ability like that. So yeah. I think they were probably looking for something that was a little more similar, but uh, we'll see what happens as it gets more game time. I mean, it's a very thematic ability. Oh, totally. You know, I mean, this monster like off. grabbing you and dragging you off. I mean, it's amazing. And it's a, it's a great ability incentivizes monsters. Um, but but yeah. it's kind of like uh, what's the universal quad called Rampage? Yeah, Rampage. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of so like that. It's like than everything else. It's yeah. so better than everything. Like I would yeah. never, I would never even think about using the Terrorgeist's, you know, natural triples and quads. Right. I would just always do Dragon Maw. Yeah. And I think that they maybe miscalculated on the anti-monster abilities too, because I never even considered them. I read them before our game. You know, yep. once I saw, okay, I know I'm against Jason. I know I'm playing the Terror Geist. I better reread these monster abilities. 
in game never once never once thought about it i always and even onslaught which is not it's a good the universal ability onslaught is a solid ability but it's not right. anything to write home about it was so many miles ahead better than the anti-monster abilities because you're always better off trying to chunk it down another totally. bracket than you are it's just complete trash trying to waste dice yeah totally maybe giving it minus one movement it's got 10 movement it doesn't care if it only yeah. has nine movement right I will, so... I will say that several people several of my games uh it got knocked down pretty far i think at one point i got all the way to the bottom of the track and i rolled like four four sixes but it did four points of damage right so yeah that's right because that's right. it's all the way at the bottom of its track yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, i that i would absolutely was agree i the only end. one to think, kill it uh, yes, and I think the reason, well, and there was a strategic reason for that, right? It was it was right. blocking something. It, yeah. it served a different purpose in our game than I did on the other games. But uh, I would say watching people have to deal with my terror guys this uh, tournament, I think the answer to a monster is to just wail on it, to get it down on its track. Because if you, if you try to ignore it and run away from it and leave it up on its track, it's 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 just too much of a threat to stay on the board like that. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I think the only and not time hard you to can hit. get away. Yeah, exactly. The only time you can get away with running away is when, um, if there's a ton of terrain on the board. Yeah. And I think that's mm -hmm. the only time. Yep. And that happened a few times. Um, I couldn't move. I couldn't move it to engage uh, because I couldn't move far enough to clear a wall. But mm -hmm. then I just used the triple and yanked you back to me from right. being six inches oh, away. Oh, man, what a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that was my list. It was a fun Very list. Good. So uh, the winner that we had, and by the way, congratulations to you two. Um, I think you both ended up getting some prizes, right, for your placings. I got more dwarves. I played nice. dwarves and then got more yeah. dwarves as a prize. <laughs> yeah, I got some ogres. That's good. Which That's was good. Fun. Um, so the first place, uh, the best of the rest of us, uh, was, uh, Justin Orton. He won, uh, in Adepticon with his, um, uh, Thundercats list. Am I right about that, Dan? Uh, yes. Four yep. Thundercats. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which is that uh, the Thundercats then... are basically the, um, evocators on Dracolines. Um, and then at Gen yeah. Con, when he didn't win, and he came two and two with his uh, his dwarves, apparently he got in a lot of trouble with his family for not winning after it, creating oh, really? an expectation to win every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not like real trouble, but you know what I mean. Uh, apparently they gave him a lot of grief. Um, this list is beautiful, though. Do you want to read it out, or sh should I? Uh, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. All right, so... He went with uh, the leader being a Moon Clan boss. It's the cheapest one you can do. It's 110 points, which is all it needs to do. Um, the a the first right, ally exactly. is an, an is an Orc Gore Grunta boss with the Pig Iron Choppa. That's yeah. the range one one instead of the range two. A lot of people love range two. I love range two, but here it makes sense to have range one because you actually want them attacking the Gore Grunta boss mm -hmm. because it has 40 wounds. Uh, yeah. He's got it is another ally. Points, though. 300 points um yeah. of a, of just 
the thickest pork that your opponent will ever be able to try to fight through. Uh, then finally, there's a third ally hero, or hero, third hero, this second ally, Orc Megaboss. Yeah. Only 224 points, 25 points for an incredible amount of combat power. Uh, yes, it struggles to get into combat, you would think, because of the movement three, except as we'll explain later, it actually is one of the fastest units in the entire game. Um, then it has a Thrall, which is a Rock Gut Trogoth. Uh, Justin... Yep swore by this guy 185 points is pretty cheap for that wound pool um then well, he, he played heals. A, and he heals yep yeah. really hard to really hard to kill um and then a brugit and two stabas with nets and the yeah. brugit his ability is to give plus three attacks to any of his friends yeah yeah there's a lot of combos going on in here um Tons. which is good and so i mean if you put that brugit next to that mega boss it's gonna delete whatever is in front of it and he was you actually know. saying he didn't like putting the brugit on the mega boss because the it's mega boss kills much. everything anyway yeah it's over uh so you just you get more value putting the brugit on either the tragus or the gorgrunta boss which yeah. i thought was really interesting and just a good sort of um maximizing of resources um but yeah just the brugit the stabas um so those nets are only doubles like we said you always have a double the brugit has a that combo ability is also on a double you always have mm -hmm. a double um the orc mega boss the reason i say it's the fastest unit in the game that's a little facetious but it has wah which yeah. moves everybody around it real fast. It gets teleported forward only three inches, but still just a free movement forward using a reaction from uh, either the Brugit or one of the Stabas. So you can do very dirty stuff with the Brugit and either the Trogoth or the Mega Boss or the Gorgrunta Boss, where, you know, you basically, it's in place at the start of the round they come onto the objective your brugit is there your brugit says hey buddy come over and fight them and then that only takes one of its actions and then it spends its other action activating maybe attacking once maybe not but mostly using the ability to pump up their attacks and then they basically he's now teleported his big scary fighter into combat and he's given it plus attacks all without spending an activation on that big scary fighter. Now when it does attack, it just blows up whatever it hits, and it was starting from like across the board, which is really right. wild. Um, and then also the Mega Boss and the Gorgrunta Boss have uh, this ability called Charge. It, every Iron Jaw has it. It's the best. It's the best double in the game other than Nets. Um, a few. A few groups have it, like uh, one of the Stormcast Chambers has it, uh, Slanesh has it. So it's not that rare, but it is the best double. Um, it's the one where if there's a fighter within six inches of you, you get a free movement and you have to get closer to that fighter than you were before. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, you know, just three more inches of movement on a double for yeah. your Mega Boss who really needs it, right? And so it meant that that Mega Boss move three is just completely false it's move six 
that's just what it is. It's a move six fighter with um, just one million damage and toughness five for 225 points. It's pretty wild. Yeah, so I, you know the yeah, interesting I'm thing impressed. about. Oh, go on. Yeah, sorry, I was gonna say the interesting thing about this list to me is that um, there's combos for days in here. Yep. You know, like if he can't combo with one, he can combo with another, and like you know, they're just it's constantly feeding off of each other, and I think that this goes to speak so highly of Justin and his list, um, just because you know he he's really thinking about the synergies that the warband can can do and if for some reason they have to go separate ways on different parts of the board well th like there's all these different things that's supporting itself um throughout the list so uh he's got some heavy hitters um that can take care of stormcast and and dragon ogres and and uh, ogreoid myrmidons if they come across all of those things and even a terror geist right like I would not want my terror guys to be charged with a Gorgrunta and a Mega Boss. Like that would be not a good day um, yeah. for mm -hmm. that terror guys monster, you know. So he's got the he's got the violence <laughs> that he needs. Mm -hmm. He's got the movement that he needs, and um, and then there's like some some silly little combos that are you know like with that Bruget, all of a sudden like you've got little guys that you don't expect will do much, like having like five attacks all of a sudden and mm -hmm. you know probably a one in three profile well five attacks like that's 10 wounds maybe you know potentially and i also thought it was really interesting he built his list to attack opposing hammers right he's got multiple netters that lock big guys down um his mega boss is basically the mega boss specializes in taking down big expensive things that you know move faster than it but have the same like attack stats as it does but cost 50 points more you know so um i think there's a big push pull towards do you want your expensive things to be expensive things that are really good at hunting down cheap stuff like my mizzen master mm -hmm. or do you want expensive things that are really good at fighting other expensive things and uh, I, yeah, I think that the correct answer will kind of change based on who your opponent is, right? It could change round to round even, but I think um, yeah. he definitely got rewarded for having expensive things that could fight other expensive things. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think um, Justin shows us how a really strategic mind approaches a competitive Warcry event, right? Because he's not just thinking, okay, I need to have an answer for Stormcast. I need to have an answer for Zombies. I need to have an answer for, you know, like he's gone down that list and you can see it in his list building. But it's also the way that he's put his Hammer Dagger Shield together. He's looked at the different missions and said, okay, ideally, like, I want this unit, this model to be responding to the other person's dagger, the other person's shield, the other person's, mm -hmm. you know, and how do I make sure that that one does that okay i'm gonna put it in this deployment group right so um he's thinking about this tournament top to bottom like i have no doubt he studied the pack before like as it came out and said okay where should i put my units based on the missions and so you saw like guys like jj even guys like eric 
they just spread out their stuff, which is not a bad, that's not a bad strategy. And I'm not saying that uh, I fault them for it. But I, when I look at Justin's list, I say, this is a man who um, was approaching this very strategically, very strategically. Yep, I think, um, and it's, you can't underestimate the having such a heavy hitter with huge hit points. Um, but you play smart with it too because you can get that locked into the wrong combats and into the wrong places and then it stays out of the game. Even yeah. if it can kill everything that gets in front of it. So uh, he put a strategic list together and he played it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The one... If you are kind of, if you're worried about this list, if you kind of have a chicken little uh, mindset, neither of you really do, but I can imagine some listeners would. Um, I think the one real weakness to this list is it has a tough time dealing with terrain. It really does. Um, If you can leverage terrain really well, like the orc mega boss at three inches of movement, I know it has that double, but... um, like it, it doesn't climb well because of the three inch move, right? You kind of need four inches of movement to climb three inch things effectively. Uh, so, and then of course the Gorgrenta boss is 300 points of your list that can't get onto terrain right. at all. Right. So um, having, having a game plan that really relies on terrain, I think will put you in a really good place if you're playing against a list like this. Um, now that said, I think you may play against a lot of people who take this shell and just have different allies. Like uh, someone already has won a tournament in Oslo, Norway, where instead of the Gorgrenta boss, basically they, they set it up exactly the same, but their allies, uh, one of them was a ogre tyrant, mm. right? For just like a totally different flavor uh, mm. that can, you know, do... Yeah, tyrant's great. Yeah, Ogre Tyrants are really scary. I don't think it's better than this list, but it might be just as good. You know, I I just think there's a lot you can play with with Destruction now that um, now that they've cracked this code of yeah. you just use the cheap gits and then you bring in the biggest, stompiest, scariest allies from across Destruction that you can. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah there's a lot to, lot to like there, but I would say playing against it, definitely lean on terrain a lot. And um, I think next month when we talk about monsters, there's going to be even more to talk about with terrain. So I think uh, if you're a aspiring tournament organizer, I also think that terrain is maybe the hottest topic that should be in your head yeah. right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's our thing is monsters and terrain, right? Because I think they go hand in hand um, there. So. Um, but uh, listen, we made it through the Nova list. Uh, I think there's a lot of great discussion here. I think hopefully you as the listeners, you picked up on some things that maybe you didn't think about before. And, uh, given that this is our first 2.0 list, I actually thought that the people did pretty good crafting them without much play time in how the new points worked and how the new abilities and things work. Um, yeah. I'm really curious to see how this is going to end up you know, in, uh, in six months and a year, like when people start getting more, more things under their belt and where, and, and where we're going with it. So, 
Um, but thank you guys for joining us tonight, and thank you for the listeners for um, sticking with us for two hours uh, tonight. I know Jason's probably Real freaking out about we went so long. <laughs> so, but we did, and uh, you know, I, I, again, like, I think we had a great discussion. So, um, if you liked uh, the show tonight, please share it with your friends. Please put it out there um, so that other people who love Warcry as well can um, hear this because I think that uh, this is a great kickoff for 2.0 as we move forward. So thank you so much uh, to everybody and just uh, keep rolling those dice. Have a great night. See ya.